Welcome to our next episode of Staying Fit One Day at a Time, ODAT. My name is Migs and I'm your host. This podcast is all about everyday people celebrating a lifestyle of recovery. People who have overcame both physical and mental addictions and now living a lifestyle of health and fitness. Today's guest is going to be Tony Miles. Tony battled with a physical addiction of alcohol and drugs and now is celebrating multiple years of sobriety. He has been the runner-up at the World Series of Poker main event, and he's also been on American Ninja Warrior. Check out this episode and hear how Tony is doing this, how he overcame his addiction, how he's staying healthy, how he's staying fit, and how he's doing it one day at a time. Welcome to our next episode of Staying Fit One Day at a Time, ODAT Nation. How's everybody doing today? Welcome on our uh, next episode, Tony. I'm happy to have you. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing really well, man. Merry Christmas, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to everybody out there as well. Happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. We're just happy to have you all here. Um, Tony, why don't you tell us uh, who you are, where you're from, and uh, where you live now? Because I know those two places aren't the same. Cool. Yeah. Uh, my name is Tony Miles. I'm a professional poker player currently residing in the Sunshine State. I live in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I usually tell people I'm from the Seattle area because that's where I went to high school. Uh, I have a lot of um, kind of like nostalgic ties to that area. I'm a big Seahawks fan, big sports guy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of uh, where I'm from. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, how's the, uh, how's the weather out in Florida right now? Uh, it's beautiful right now, man. It's like uh, 60 degrees, sunny and yeah, it just feels really nice. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm pretty jealous because, uh, today it's 40 and I think that's the nicest we've had in a week. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pretty I don't jealous. Envy, I don't envy you northerners and your brutal winters. That's for sure. I like to go play in the mountains in the cold like to ski and snowboard and stuff but definitely wouldn't want to live in it yeah i have some friends that ran away down to a best bet uh playing on the stream this weekend so i I was hating on them because they uh they snuck away from the cold and they they skipped the storm to play poker down in florida so i'm pretty jealous of them as well yeah that sounds amazing (laughs) uh so uh tony um Really cool thing I want to share with our listeners. Um, this is going to be a really unique episode for me, a really, really special episode for me. Um, every one of our episodes is amazing because, uh, like I say in every episode out there when everyone's listening, spoiler alert, um, you're going to hear a lot of bad stuff, a lot of nasty stuff, and a lot of bad things um, that our guests may have done Um But the beautiful thing about this podcast is that everybody in the end is always sober. They're always clean and they're doing amazing fitness um, feats with their life. So that's always the really, really cool part. Um, And one really, uh, a couple awesome things about you is you have definitely been a personal inspiration of mine um, through my entire sobriety, starting off early with being a poker player myself, um, following you in one of the most amazing feats. that anybody can ever accomplish in poker, which I'm not going to go ahead and let that cat out the bag yet. We're going to let you talk about that later. Um, And also you might've seen him on uh, American Ninja Warrior, which we'll also talk about later. Um, Definitely had some TV time on there as well. So uh, a lot of really cool, inspiring things, which we're going to cover. But before we get to those really cool parts, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your childhood, 
about your upbringing and about everything kind of before you picked up your first drink? All right. Um, so I come from a middle-class family. My dad was in the Air Force, so we relocated quite a bit. Uh, I think I lived in eight or 10 different places before the age of 12. Uh, my family life growing up was pretty good. You know, I, I was blessed. I have two parents that love me very much. Uh, they didn't get along very well, so there was a lot of animosity and uh, kind of turbulence in my household between my dad and my mom fighting. And uh, I, I can really see it now with like my temperament and um, just the way that I react in certain situations that, you know, that had a significant impact on um, me as a person. So growing up, you know, my parents ended up getting divorced. I think I was around six or eight or so. And my mom remarried. Um, my dad actually like moved halfway across the country to be close to, to us kids. I have two brothers. So um, my dad was there and present and really tried to, you know, be a good role model and, and, and be active in our lives, which was, you know, really was a blessing. Um, but then my mom remarried again when I was about 12. And we ended up moving up to Seattle or Tacoma, Washington. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just grew up, I, you know, sports were really big in our household. So uh, from the time I can remember, we were playing soccer, baseball, hockey. You know, my dad was a professional water skier. So oh, wow. uh, we had boats. My dad set national records and uh, kind of grew up going out skiing and uh, I did gymnastics. So there's there just a lot of like athletics and, and a lot of competition in my household. I have two brothers. They're both very athletic. So um, I, I think that contributes a lot to you know, the way I see the world and, and the way I'm always trying to, you know, trying to win, not just like in sports, but at life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now what age and, and through your, uh, your early teen years, uh, through all that competition, uh, what age did you end up picking up your first drink and how did that happen? You know, I'll say I had an uncle who was, pretty cool and I'll, I'll put cool in quotation marks because oh, yeah. uh, anybody that's listening to this podcast knows exactly what cool means <laughs> yeah i mean it's not his fault and uh you know he passed away a few years ago you know god rest his soul but he he would he would slip us drinks i, I remember at my mom's wedding he would like uh he, he would give us like drinks and cigars and stuff and uh so I think that was probably my first introduction to alcohol and... And you were how old? I'd say I was probably about 12 years old Okay. at that time. So, you know, it wasn't evident at the time, like the first time I had those drinks. And part of the problem was I was so scared of what would happen to me if my parents found out that my uncle was giving us drinks and stuff. I don't think I ever really drank enough to actually, you know, have that addictive gene like take over and and ha and have the 
the addiction of more really start to be a compulsive notion in my life. So that, that was kind of like my first introduction uh, to alcohol. And I think that's like pretty young, you know, like 12 years old. It's like looking Absolutely. back now, it's like, wow, like that's a, that's a, that's a pretty young age to, to, to have your first experience with a mind or a mood altering substance. Definitely for sure. Now, were you getting, were you getting access to this like fairly regularly or was there like a huge gap from when you actually started, started drinking, drinking? Like when would you say you would be drinking a little bit more regularly? Yeah. So I, I wasn't regularly exposed through uh, those experiences with my uncle. I'd say around the age of 14 to 15 years old is when I really started, you know, experimenting with alcohol and drugs. Um, once I got into high school and, you know, my friends had access to, to their parents' alcohol and to their parents' prescription drug uh, prescriptions and uh, you know, I started going to parties and started hanging out with people who who were, you know, using drugs and alcohol recreationally. That's that's when the the problem really, really started to become evident to me. Gotcha. And now that's still that's still a really, really young age as well. Because I mean, you think a lot of people normally get like their first sip, their first taste at like 14, 15 years old, and then hang out a couple more years and maybe start developing things around 17 or 18. Um, but for you to kind of start that path a few years earlier, um, unfortunately, that makes it even a little bit harder to fight back from because it's, it's a larger percentage of your life that you're spending doing these things. So it's, it's a bigger part of what you know, um, at a really young age like that. And at, so when, when did your family start to catch on to really what was going on and when did it start to really become more than just fun, even though we know that's probably what you thought it still was? Well, for me, the, the, the disease of addiction was, I mean, I, I wasn't able to recognize it, but I remember the first time I got drunk and a friend and I had like gone over to some girl's house and I think we were drinking over there and then he was staying at my house we came back and we after my parents went to bed we we went downstairs and we got into my stepdad's liquor cabinet and we drank a lot and you know we're we're pretty pretty drunk and then we I had a the bright idea of taking my mom's car for a joyride so we snuck out my window we stole the car and it was a stick shift I you know I my mom had given me a couple lessons on how to drive stick shift but I didn't even really know how to drive a manual transmission at the time so you know I, I was drunk I was 14 I didn't have a lot of experience driving and we went out joyriding it was raining that you know the area we lived in is all hills and like really dangerous curved roads and I remember we like we did a 360 at one point and like spun out, hit the curb and like I drove away from it. Oh my and God. it was crazy, man. Like, you know, looking back, like I just feel like God's blessed me in like so many ways. Like that night, like surviving that night is kind of crazy. You know, after we did that 360, we drove to like uh, this kind of small city, like close to where I was living. And I decided I wanted to go to Taco Bell. So I jumped the curve and like drove through all these flower beds directly into the Taco Bell, like drive through. 
Oh my. And it's just like, you know, how did I not get pulled over? You know, yeah, how is there no cops there? There's no cops. And, and, you know, it was just, it, it's just a, a reflection of like, you know, how, you know, drinking wasn't enough. Like I always wanted to push the envelope a little more and a little more. And, and, and the crazy thing about that entire night was we got back to my house you know, at one point when we were driving around, my friend said, stop the car, let me out. I'm scared. I think you're going to kill us. <laughs> and, and he, he stuck, he hung in there for the ride, you know, God bless him. But we got back to the house and, and I said, uh, yo, let's go downstairs and get some more alcohol. And my buddy, I'll, I'll never forget like the look he shot me. It was like, he was bewildered. He's like, dude, we are drunk. He's like, I can barely stand up. He's like, you want to drink more? I was like, yeah, dude, let's go downstairs and, 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 and have another drink. And so he's like, no, I'm out. Like, I'm done. I'm going to sleep. And like, he was probably scared shitless from like the ride. And he laid down to go to sleep. And I went back downstairs by myself. You know, it's like, I, I didn't even have like a wingman or someone supporting my decision. It's like, I couldn't stop even after even at that point when it's like it's my first time being drunk and I was drinking past the point of no control and so I went downstairs and uh you know I was I was trying to make a drink and I think a couple of the bottles clinked around and my mom came down and my stepdad came down and they actually caught me drunk that night and so like the very first time I drank you know I drank way too much and uh, my, my parents found out and it, it was just, you know, they were really disappointed. And uh, I woke up the next day and like, I remember I felt so terrible. I was just so hungover. And I went to grab some like Tylenol out of, out of the medicine cabinet. And my mom's like, uh, 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 you're going to suffer. And uh, she, she wouldn't let me have any Tylenol. And, and I felt terrible that day, but, but, but that wasn't enough. Like, the pain and, and the, the, the agony of that situation didn't stop me. Like the next weekend I, I was at it again. I, I'd found like, I found my thing, you know, I was going to be a partier and, and I was going to drink and, and I was going to, you know, have fun. That is just absolutely insane. And I think what everybody's thinking and, um, <laughs> What happened to the car? <laughs> like, did you, did they not, I, there had to have been something had to have happened to the car with all that. Dude, the car was fine. My mom did, she, you know, I, I'm pretty sly and I, I can lie with the best of them. So my mom said, Hey, did you guys get in the car last night? Cause when I went out to the car, the seat was, you know, moved back further. Cause my mom's like kind of short. And so like, obviously I forgot to move the seat back up when we got out. And I said, oh yeah, we were real scared. So when we made our drinks, we went out and sat in the car to hide. And she was uh, like, oh, oh, okay. Follow it up with what you already got in trouble for. <laughs> right. Well played, very well played. Now that's, that, that night though is, uh, you know, after the, the humorous part looking at it, it's, it's just, it's absolutely crazy to think that like, those are the actions and the night of like a story we could hear from, uh, a grown, a grown adult in their mid 20. I mean, pretty much at any age older than that. Um, and that story could have went 
just like with everybody that's on here. And again, I feel like I bring this up every podcast episode, but just like with everybody on here, we always hear at least one story where it's like one thing could have went wrong one flash second. And we don't even have this episode today because that person could be dead or in jail. Um, and I mean, we just heard it in that story as well. I mean, two 14 year olds out there driving drunk, spinning cars. I mean, you could have got hit by another car. You could have hit someone else. You could have hurt someone else um, driving over flower beds. You know I mean? There's, there's just, there's so many things that could have went wrong where yourselves or anyone else could have been hurt. Um, we're almost like getting pulled over almost might have been best case scenario and almost saved someone's life if we see what could have happened. But uh, definitely glad that it didn't go that way. Um, fortunate that you made it home safely, but so crazy how some of those stories really turn around when you look back at them at, at an older age. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think just to make this point, like that story, while, you know, I know millions of other people have had worse experiences, I just tell that story because I think it's laced with telltale signs of the addiction being present in my life from even before the very first time I ever had a sip of alcohol. Absolutely. And I, I think the, the part that shows it the most in that story as well um, isn't even necessarily the, the whole car incident because I think, I mean, I can't say I've ever done it, but I know there's quite a few people out there that have done exactly what you did with their parents' car um, without the influence of alcohol at the same age, without any drugs, just because, you know, we can just be asshole teenagers sometimes and 14 year olds just think it's a good idea to take their parents' car sometimes. And, you know, that's happened a bunch of times, but I think the craziest part of that story is after all that happened and after scaring, scaring the hell out of your friend and then still going back and then drinking. And even when he didn't want to drink to just go down and drink by yourself, like that's the, the scary part. Cause that's what really happens to us as adults in our full blown addiction is no matter what happens, regardless at the end of the night, we're still going to keep drinking until we pass out or until we get caught and we have to shut it down because we just can't. Yeah. And, and that, that nature of drinking was present throughout my entire time when I, when I was drinking and using is just like one, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So I, I was always, I wasn't the type of drinker who woke up in the morning and craved alcohol or had to drink every day. But once I started, there was no stopping. Absolutely. That's pretty similar to, uh, to how I was as well. Um, it pretty much spot on. There could definitely be a lot, of, a lot of days where I could like, I could, yeah, whatever. But like once I started, it was like there was a switch. I don't know. Um, but now is that, pretty, is that pretty much how the next few years and a lot of your active drinking went? Just um, a lot of those pretty much shenanigans, just not stopping, keeping going. Is it, it was, was it pretty much a cycle for many years to continue? Yeah, it was hell for, oh man, I was caught for a long time. I, uh, I ended up not graduating from high school and I mean, I got into a fight where I had a kid had, we had already had a fist fight and the kid got back into a car to try and get away from me. And I made the guy unlock the car and I pulled him out and like kept beating on him. So I, I ended up getting expelled from my high school, not getting to graduate with my class. And, and so after that, I, I, I moved down to Arkansas because I had started dating a girl and she had moved down there with her family. And I moved down there and her parents let her drink. So I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, you know, they treat us like adults, but 
I couldn't act like an adult when I was drinking. So I ruined that relationship. You know, I, I had so many nights where, you know, her parents would just have a beer with dinner and I'd try to have a beer with them, but then her parents would go to bed and, you know, I thought it was time to really start drinking. And like every single time I would wake up the next morning feeling remorseful, not knowing what I did, uh, you know, just being like rude and disrespectful and making bad decisions that endangered my own life and the lives of other people. And, um, you know, luckily, like I was able to not drink like when, you know, when life was happening, you know, I I was fortunate. I was able to like, start college and like go to classes and make good grades but when that relationship deteriorated mostly due to you know my addiction i ended up moving down here to florida because my dad was living here and uh, i transferred to a bigger university here and once i got to that university i you know it was the same thing it was like it was like the same thing as my childhood. I was in a new place, like trying to make friends. I joined a fraternity, you know, binge drinking was like a huge thing in college and in that fraternity. And so I just, I, I went on a tear, man. The, the next 10 years probably were, were just terrible. And, and it wasn't like I was drinking every day, but it was like, you know, I was having four or five episodes a month where, where, you know, I totaled a car, got a DUI, you know, like punched down the door in my girlfriend's apartment. Like, um, so yeah, that lasted for a long time. And, and that was, that was before I had really transitioned and, and, and found my love of opioids. But, but I, like I said before, I think, you know, my addictive nature was clearly evident in the way that I, in the relationship I had with alcohol from the very beginning. So yeah, that's the way the next 10 years went. Okay. You must be a little bit older than I thought because I thought you were a little bit closer to my age. I'm thinking you might be a little bit older than me now then. Uh, What, what years were you in college? What? Uh, I'm 35. Okay. Okay. You're a little bit closer to me than I thought then. Okay. Um, I was just having trouble mixing up or uh, lining up years there. My math is a little off. <laughs> uh, so were you, were you, um, were you playing any poker at all at this point yet? Or were you, what were you doing for work um, while you were going to school and um, as you were drinking and whatnot, like kind of, how were you kind of like supporting everything that was going on? Uh, well, I was, I was pretty fortunate. My, my dad had, you know, set up a, a, a college fund for us and was paying for us to go to school and, and, and supporting us financially while, while I was there as well. Um, my love of poker started, you know, actually I started playing poker when I was like 14 or 15 around the same age. And that friend that I told you about that went joyriding with me was actually the person that got me into poker. Um, cool story. I'll tie that in a little bit later when we talk about, uh, you know, the world series and stuff, but, um, I would say I was playing poker, uh, during this period but I was playing it more as a compulsive gambler and less as a professional poker player. Uh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Just taking it from a completely different angle, just pretty much lighting the money on fire at that point. Um, and just, uh, just chasing, chasing things that aren't really there. Um, so 
and uh, at, I know you mentioned you uh, you picked up a little bit of an of an opioid addiction. How heavy did that get? How uh, how bad did that get at that point then? So the opioid addiction ended up being my downfall. Um, you know, I think the first time I experienced uh, getting high off of an opioid, I was in high school and I, I played basketball. So I think I had like ro rolled an ankle and torn a bunch of tendons in my ankle. And the doctor had prescribed me some, some prescription opioids. And from the very, very first time I took it, I knew like, that was for me like i loved the feeling and i was addicted immediately the problem was opioids were were never as accessible as alcohol so and, and you know a bunch of my fraternity brothers and stuff too they didn't experiment with the prescription drugs as much because there was more of a, a stigma associated with that you know you didn't really want to be a druggie but um once i graduated from college and actually this, this kind of, uh, my real opi opiate addiction started pretty heavily after I graduated and started playing poker professionally. Like I, I was always using opioids when I could find them. Uh, but after I graduated and I was playing poker and making really good money, I found access to them almost all like around the clock. And, and I had the money to support my habit. So I thought, like, I thought I had enough money to where I could never go broke. But uh, yeah, God had different plans. And uh, that, that's not exactly the way the story goes. Yeah. Un unfortunately, that can be a, a blessing and a curse when you're, when you're successful and you're doing, doing that well. But when those vices creep up and then, like you said, they become a lot more accessible, that can be very, very dangerous. Um, and a really, really uh, scary thought to battle with. Um, now we we know that that went rough for a while. Um, why don't you tell us? Uh, why don't you tell us about the the amazing day of uh, February seventh, two thousand sixteen? Then. All right. So, uh, man. So I've been playing poker professionally for maybe two to three years. And uh, like I said, I had built up a pretty significant bankroll. You know, I was pretty successful. I, I was lucky. I was naturally talented at the game. And, uh, you know, once I found access to those opiates, I fell and I, and I, and I fell hard. You know, like I, I was doing them every day. I was taking them before I went to work. I was taking them on days I didn't work. And, you know, it was a, a very costly habit. And like I said, I, I thought that I, you know, had such a substantial bankroll that I wouldn't, I would never be able to go broke, but that changed very quickly. And my ability to play profitably at, at the poker tables uh, was significantly impaired as well when I was trying to play on these drugs. So I ended up going broke maybe like two years into my career as a professional. Um, I lost, I mean, I, I went broke buying drugs and playing poker poorly. And, uh, you, you know, it, it was sad. Like I ended up having to move back in with my mom uh, in, a, in a different city. And I, I had gotten so addicted to the opiates that, you know, I kind of came clean with her. I, I was ashamed and like, it was painful 
and my whole family thought I was doing well. And when I moved back in, you know, I told her like, hey, this is what I've been doing. You know, I'm, I'm addicted and, you know, I really want to get clean. And, you know, I, I'm just very fortunate. I, had a, I have a mom that, you know, has unconditional love for me. I remember one of the nights that I first got there, I was detoxing and I, I was freezing. I was like laying in bed and I had like three or four blankets on me and my mom was coming in to check on me. And I just said like, mom, like I'm so cold, like I can't get warm. And so she went in the bathroom and got a hairdryer and just stood there for like 30 minutes, like fanning the hair, the hot air up and down my body. And, um, you know, that was hard. That was, that, that was hard for me to know that my parents had invested so much like time and love into like raising children who were, who were going to, they, who they wanted to like do well and be healthy and, and be successful contributing members of society. And, and I, I felt like I had let them down. And so that, that's kind of the point where it all started to turn around. That, that was February 7th, uh, 2016. <clears throat> so a little over like almost coming up on like yeah, five years now. Coming up on, wow. That's a long time, man. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. Absolutely amazing. Man, my, my, my quality of life has just improved so much. It's, uh, I, you know, you, when, when you are really in the grips of addiction, I, I don't think you ever forget, you know, all, all the hell that you go through um, when, when you're living that life and, and experiencing like, you know, all those terrible things. But I'm so grateful that, you know, my mom was like supportive enough to take me in and, uh, you know, like I, I had been to rehab while I was in college for drinking and and I already knew, like, you know, based on the 12-step programs, like, the only way I was, I knew, like, it wasn't a question for me. It wasn't like, you know, do I just have a problem or, you know, can I stop using the opiates and maybe still drink occasionally? It was like, all right, if I'm going to get clean, I have to commit to sobriety. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the catalyst for the change. Absolutely. And that's, Super, super amazing, and definitely a, a, a shout out to uh, to Mama Miles out there for uh, for helping get that done and definitely standing down because I know our families, our support systems. Um, a lot of times without them, we don't stand a chance because they really get us through in the beginning, especially when when we need them the most. And now, after you were uh, after that initial detox, what really helped you with maintaining your sobriety and your recovery? Uh, did you find the rooms of AA, NA? Did you? talk to people. Um, I know there's a lot of different paths out there. What, what worked for you? Uh, I found the rooms of NA. Um, I, I went to meetings religiously. I went every single day. I developed a network of other people in recovery that, you know, were a strong support system and, and, and really helped and aided and you know, it, it's kind of like immersion, you know, the reason they say meeting makers make it is because it's true. If you hang out with a bunch of people who have a good philosophy on staying sober and have a set of tools that they use to overcome the cravings and all of the, all of the really difficult, you know, opportunities that you face when you're early in sobriety, I, I, I really just think that you know, 
those meetings, that program and that network that you build when you're, when you're in meetings and going and, and living like the 12 step lifestyle, I really think that's one of the most critical components of, of my success and my ability to, to stay sober. Absolutely. Um, and it's so important what you said too. Um, and I want to stress it out there again for everybody listening, meeting makers, make it. Um, that is a huge point, um, a huge part. I know in AA, they, the, the old timer said that to me uh, a lot as well. And it was just, it was so important. And when, you know, I, I didn't try and make too many excuses in the beginning, to not go to meetings. But if I would even kind of hint that I was even trying to, um, they would always just remind me that, you know, I would have found a way to, to get to the bar or I would have found a way to do this and that, like find a way to get to a meeting, do what you got to do. Um, and yeah, like you said, it, it's just so, so important in, in early sobriety. It can help a lot of people. Um, and I know like you and I both talked about this, um, uh, having gone to meetings as much lately, um, especially with COVID making it even harder, um, but, but again, especially in early sobriety, I know for like the first year, I would have stood no chance without the rooms, like absolutely no chance without the fellowship. 100%, man. I couldn't agree more. Like, uh, you know, those, those meetings, that program, the network of friendships that I developed, uh, they saved my life and my, and my support system in my family and stuff was, was critical as well. But honestly, you know, I really think thank the the program of NA and the fellowship for 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 saving me because I, I think that you know without that program and without those friends and without the accountability that comes like in that process, I don't think there's any way I would have made it. Definitely for sure, and uh, definitely shout out to your network of people out there as well. Anybody that might be listening to this, anybody that helps out anybody in early sobriety, um, you're always appreciated because you know, the hand, the hands are always there to help us. And you know, you guys help us when, when we're fresh on and then we get a chance to help out those, like someone helped out you. And then I got to see your story and be inspired. And then hopefully someone sees my story and they get inspired. And you know, it's, it's just a chain reaction. And this is a snowball effect in a good way. And it's really, really cool. I think they say you keep what you have by giving it away. Right. Uh, I, I don't think I've heard that one before, but I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I'm, I, it's always cool. I always get to hear different things. You know, I figured out too, when I went to uh, vacation in North Carolina and when I was out in Las Vegas as well, I noticed that different meetings in different areas, um, it's the same general concept, but a lot of like quotes, a lot of sayings, a lot of ways that they, just a lot of the ways they say the same things that they mean. There's just a lot of really cool things. And I've never heard that one. I really, really like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I think, you know, giving back and doing service is like one of the 12 steps for a reason, you know? And, and I think that saying embodies that, that principle really well. For sure. Definitely. Um, now we're about to get into one of my, one of the parts that I'm most excited about, um, about this segment, um, because to, to fill our listeners in just a little bit more before I let you tell it from your point of view, um, the world series of poker is the, it is the super bowl of poker. Anybody and everybody that knows poker, even people that don't know poker have heard of the world series of poker. Um, it's the tournament that's on in July 
uh, on ESPN. There's a few years it was on in November, but for the most part, you'd probably see it going on in July. And there's, there's a lot of stuff going on and it's only gotten bigger and bigger every year. The prize pool is always amazing. And anybody that makes final table is becoming an automatic millionaire. That is 100% for sure. Um, this gentleman that we're about to uh, listen, tell his version of the story, or I, should, no, I want to say version, but the, uh, the real life version um, made it to final table of one of these, of, of the main event in 2017, right? 2018. Oh, sorry. 2000, 2000. Oh yeah. Duh, it was two months after I got sober. Uh, yeah. 2018 made final table. Um, and I'm going to let him go on and, and, you know, just tell the story, but it, it, this is just so cool because this was a huge inspiration for me. Um, when I was only two months sober and I had trouble being in a casino and trying to play poker, which was a huge part of my life, um, it, it was just really, really tough. And at two months sober, seeing this story um, unfold that you're about to hear for the first time was just, it, it was beyond inspiring and has helped get me back to the point of where I'm at now. Um, and it, it's just so special. Um, so yeah, Tony, why don't you tell us about that summer? All right, cool, man. And I just want to say, man, like it's such a blessing for me to hear that, that you were inspired and that you were touched. Like I've always felt like that's a big part of my purpose and like my why. Um, so, you know, just kind of a short backstory to kind of follow up on, you know, the, the transition from my life of using to sobriety. Um, this is actually a really cool part. So I had gone broke. I didn't have a bankroll. And, you know, once I started getting sober, one of my best friends, his name is Zen Kai. He, he saw me going to meetings. He saw me putting in the effort to really change my life. And, uh, you know, he's a, he was a very successful cash game player at the casino I played at. He was a good friend. He's really like a brother. He's my best friend. I was the best man in his wedding a couple of years ago. Uh, when he saw that I was really cleaning up my life, he said, like, you know, why don't you come back and try and play poker again? Like, I was lost. I didn't know what I was going to do for a career. Wait, I'm sorry. Was this the 14 you know, I had a college degree, so. Uh, no, no, no. This, okay. is, this, is, uh, this is another friend I made through poker, like, in the few years of, of playing professionally when I was still using and stuff. I'm sorry. Um, no worries. So, so Zen saw that, and uh, he said, you know, why don't you come back and start playing, start playing poker again? He's like, you seem like you're like really sharp, you know, and, and, and it, it had, I'd been out of the game for a while and, and, and poker is something that's constantly evolving. It's a game where if you're not studying and keeping up to date with the, with the, the, the latest strategies, you can be left behind and you can go from a winning player to a losing player very quickly. And, and I was skeptical, you know, I was like, I don't know if I want to be in the casino, you know, I don't know if I want to be around other people who are drinking. And, and he really like encouraged me. He, he, he said like, this is something that you're passionate about. And, and I think now that you are sober, that you would really be successful if you chased your dream to play. And so Zen started, he offered me a stake. And for, for those listeners that aren't familiar with poker or the staking and the backing, basically what he did was he offered to give me money to play with and then we would split a percentage of the winnings. And for someone who has a history of drug, 
You know, the staking business in poker is very difficult just in general. You know, you have to be completely trustworthy because you're giving people money and you're, you're depending on them to, uh, to, to be honest with how much they're winning and losing and not steal from you. So it was a, it was a huge motivation for me that my friend was willing to like trust me and you know, to give me an opportunity. And along with that opportunity, he'd offered to coach me. So he was investing time into like me relearning the game and, you know, the education of my career path. And so I started playing cash games for Zen, like maybe two or three months after I got sober and and I was doing really well. And Zen made a lot of money and I was making a lot of money and you know, everything hinged on me staying sober. As long as I was doing the next right thing, as long as I was committed to making my sobriety a priority, things kept falling into line. And so the next couple of years, you know, I kind of grinded. I I played a lot of cash games. You know, I started off small and I I built my bankroll up. Uh, you know, I, I started to like acquire things, um, and, and, and my quality of life just improved significantly. And it was really like special and it was really like touching that Zen went out on that limb and offered to be there and, and offered to help me, uh, once I got sober. And so that's kind of how I got back into poker and, and I was a cash game player, but you know, I've always you know, wanted to play tournaments and knew that I could compete against the best players in the world. And the World Series of Poker is where the best players in the world go every single year to put their skills to the test. Anybody, everybody who's anybody in the poker world plays the World Series of Poker. You might not even know poker. You'll probably recognize names like Daniel Negreanu, Phil Ivey, Phil Hellmuth. Like these are the guys that have won 12, 13 bracelets. They go out there. The World Series of Poker is an event that spans about two months in Vegas every summer. There's about 60 to 80 events in every different format of poker. And that's where you go to prove you're one of the best players in the world. So for anyone that plays poker, going out there and playing in those tournaments is an experience. Like that's that's the pinnacle of any poker player's career is winning that bracelet and being crowned one of the best players in the world. So after a couple of years of getting my life back together and building my bankroll, uh, you know things were going really well. And and you know the I think the first year of my sobriety, I, I stayed home from the World Series, and you know I really wanted to be there and compete, but you know I, I just felt like I wasn't ready yet. But in 2018, I knew like it was time. And so um, like going out to Vegas that summer, I was more prepared to play poker than I'd ever been in my entire life. And, And a lot of this will tie into the fitness stuff we'll probably talk about later, but I was doing crazy stuff to get prepared for that summer. Like when you play in these tournaments at the World Series of Poker, it's long days. 
12 hours of play of day with minimal breaks and like just the mental fortitude and the grit you got to have and like the fatigue you experience when you're playing these long hours against these crazy good players who are putting you in difficult spots and you're having to use your like your logic and your problem solving ability all the time is just exhausting and so i started doing some i started doing some really abstract things like my brother's really into like uh david goggins and jocko willink and so i started reading their books about mindset and uh you know, I really adopted a lot of their philosophies and I was doing other things like I was on a ketogenic diet. And, you know, one of the things my brother and I discussed a lot was like how sharp you feel when you're in a state of ketosis. So I was using the ketogenic diet. I was doing the Wim Hof method of, of breathing and cold water therapy. And, and last but not least, I started meditating. And I meditated for probably three months leading up to that summer. And I could feel the, diff the difference in my mental processing ability immediately. I was playing on a different level. And, and even before going out to the series that year, it's funny, I was on a ski trip with some of my friends and you know, something happened and like I lost some money and I was like, it doesn't matter because I'm gonna win the main event this year. Oh, that's so cool. And all my friends kind of laughed it off. They're like, you know, like the main event has 8,000 players in it. Like, you know, just, just saying that you're going to win the main event is like, it's a dream, you know? Absolutely. Any, any kid who's into poker, I mean, it's, it's kind of like when, when you're into football, it's like, I'm going to win the Super Bowl one day. It's like, I'm going to win the World Series of Poker one day. Like everyone wants to be that guy holding up the bracelet at the end, surrounded with a million dollars on the table. Like everyone wants to be that guy. 100%. Or girl, or girl. We're not knocking. A woman hasn't done it yet, but it can. We're not yeah. knocking it. The girls have come a long way, man. There's some beasts out there these days. It's, it's really cool to see. But yeah, back to the story, man. So going into that summer, I, I was meditating. I was eating really healthy. I was in great physical shape. And, uh, you know, I just knew something was going to happen. And along with, along with all the things I was doing to, to stay fit, like mentally and physically, I really developed a, a spiritual relationship with my higher power that I hadn't experienced before. You know, like, you know, it's always difficult for me to talk about my relationship with God, but something told me that summer that something special was going to happen. And like, I just knew it. Like, I've never had so much peace and tranquility in my life. And I, I went out to the World Series, you know, we get there in early June and, you know, you play tournaments every single day, you're exhausted. And I was running kind of bad that summer, but I felt like I was playing lights out. And so I just said like, you know, if I keep putting in the effort, you know, something's about to pop off. Like I'm gonna win one of these tournaments and it's gonna change my life. And so, you know, I had a few decent scores that summer. Like I, I made some deep runs and, and some smaller events and stuff. And then um, I think maybe three or four days before the main event started, they were running like a, a main event at the Golden Nugget. And I, I went in and I played amazing. Like I played the best poker I had played in my entire life. And I ended up making the final table and I got unlucky to bust in like 
10th place, I think, for, I think I won like 10,000 or something, which, you know, is, is, is a great score. And I was really happy about, but after that run and the way I was playing in that tournament, I was stoked to play the main event. And, and so the main event started on the 4th of July. There's a few starting days. And actually, because I made the final table of that tournament, I ended up playing a day later than I had planned on starting. And so, you know, I started the main event. And from the very second that I walked into the tournament, I knew that was going to be a special tournament. There was just something about it. And, and, and I remember, like, on the very first day, they were talk the, the ESPN crew was walking around with the, the film cameras. And I pulled one of the guys aside and I said, hey, man, like, you know, my mom knows I'm out here. Like, I, I'm newly sober in the last couple of years. And, like, this is my dream to, like, do well in this tournament. And I'd played the main event a few times before, but I'd never had any real success in it. So I asked this guy, I said, like, hey, do you mind if I, like, send a message to my mom, you know, that you guys can put on TV so sh she can see me, you know, playing in this tournament, which is like my dream. And so I got to give a shout out to my mom. And on that very first day, I just remember like, I was in the zone, like I was in a flow state. And, uh, you know, there was another pro at my table and we had gotten pretty friendly on day one. And he texted me like a few days later during the tournament and he said, man, like, I really think you played perfect. And I was like, you know, I, I was really appreciative of that compliment. But at the same time, I was confident, like I knew I was playing perfect poker. And so the, the tournament went on. Um, the main event last 10 days. It's the biggest tournament in the world. It's a $10,000 buy-in. Like you said, it's the Super Bowl of poker. It's on ESPN. It's the show. And so probably by about like the third day or something, I was starting to accumulate a lot of chips. And on day four, they put me on a feature table, which meant I was going to be on TV. And I remember I was on that feature table with Antonio Esfandiari. And he was talking to me and he said like, uh, you know, can you believe someone in this room is going to win this tournament? And I, and I remember saying like, yeah, it's gonna be me. And he was just like, ha ha, yeah, right, you know, whatever. And I was like, nah, dude, I'm serious. And, and after that day four of playing with him on the feature table, he came up to me and he said, if you ever need anyone to stake you, I will stake you. He's like, I thought you played amazing. And uh, if you ever are selling action for anything, you know, I'd like to be involved. And real quick for anybody listening, Antonio Esfandiari, the gentleman he's talking about, um, is also one of the most successful poker players in history. Um, he's, he's just unbelievable. Um, and I never met the guy, but he's an unbelievable TV personality. And if you've seen television on poker, you've probably seen him. Um, he's a magician, so he's always doing goofy stuff on television, but a really, really, really big name in the poker world. So for this, for this guy to be saying this um, – to somebody he's never met before. This is, I can only imagine this is that, that it just speaks volumes to, to what, what you were doing out there that day. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. Shout out to Antonio. He's a, a legend, 
$25 million in poker earnings just from tournaments alone or something. A super nice guy. Um, but yeah, so like all these things just kept falling into line. And, um, you know, day three went by and then day four went by and I was just accumulating chips and accumulating chips. And, and it's kind of like the NCAA March Madness tournament, man. When you're in the main event, you just want to survive in advance. You want to make it one more day. And, and I took it, you know, my whole mantra throughout this whole tournament was one day at a time. So, yeah, you know? I, I was going to say, you beat me to it. I was going to say, so you would, you would maybe say you were approaching this tournament one day at a time. 100%, man. <laughs> I, was, I was applying my philosophy in life and sobriety to my, to my craft. And so each day I would, I would go in, I wouldn't worry about how much money was on the line. You know, by day six and day seven, the, the caches start becoming quite substantial. You know, you're playing, if you bust out on day seventh, you could bust in like, I don't know, 50th or 60th place and still make a hundred thousand. So, you know, some people are nervous, they're scared, they're, it changes their play, it affects their ability to bluff in big spots and make moves that you really need to, to pull off to be successful in these poker tournaments. And, and I just remember like being able to totally disregard the amount of money that we were playing for and to focus in on just playing each and every hand as well as possible. And so at the end of day seven, I had, you know, I had a really good couple of close friends that were still in Vegas that are professionals as well. And uh, I remember one of the guys came up to the table and he was sweating me, which is, you know, it's, it's a term we use in poker for kind of just watching what's going on and kind of like being, in, being someone in the audience. And I made a call with King High, which is a very, very high level poker play. And being that deep in the tournament and doing it at that point was just, it was amazing, man. It was really incredible. It probably one of the best calls of my, my entire career. Absolutely. And only two people, only two kind of people can make a call like that. The best of players and the worst of players in the world. Nobody in the middle between the bottom 1% and the top 1%. That middle 98% never even think about it. 100%, man. And so, yeah, uh, you know, day seven ended and, uh, you know, it was one of the craziest, it was one of the craziest final table hands to get to the final table I've ever seen in my entire life. Two guys had Kings and one guy had pocket aces. And, you know, we made that final table. There was 10 of us. I was, I had the least chips out of anyone at the table. I came in short stacked. And when that hand happened and, the guy busted and I knew that I was making the final table of the world series of poker main event. I knew my dreams were coming true. Even if you make it to the final, the final table consists of nine players, but even if you make it to the final table and you bust out in ninth place, like you said earlier, you're automatically making a million dollars. You're guaranteed a million dollars. You your status in the poker world is elevated. Like everybody watches it on TV. They know who you are. Like you have a lot of publicity that comes along with it. 
And so making that, making that final table when, when that hand happened and I knew I was going to make it and we took the picture with the nine guys that were going to be the World Series of Poker main event final table in 2018, that was one of the proudest moments of my entire life. That's just unbelievable. That's, that's just, it's like, I'm almost getting goosebumps again, like just hearing this story. Cause I'm getting to hear it for the first time. And like I said, I following this um, while it was happening was just unbelievable. And it's one thing that's also really remarkable is that you, you had, you had to be as successful as you were um, that week for us all to be hearing this story right now um, and for us to know about this. And, and what I mean is there, there's no doubt that you could have been the first person to bust out in that tournament and you would have still been the same Tony miles today. Um, maybe a, a few million dollars less, but you would have still been the, the same person today. Um, like the thing still sober, still working a good program, still good with your family and, and everything. Awesome. The, the only difference is we I, on the, on the East coast, I wouldn't know the story. That's the only difference. And it, it's really cool because being on a platform, being like that, being on ESPN just got a chance for so many people to hear that this was going on while it was going on and to jump on board with the story. Cause again, for, for listeners out there, um, this is a live sporting event. This isn't, um, this isn't uh, one of those things that like a, like a TV series, um, like American Ninja Warrior, which we'll talk about later. This isn't recorded and then aired later. Um, everything we're seeing happened 30 minutes before it actually happened. So we're catching this as it's going. So getting to watch this journey day by day by day and, and getting to see this is just, it, it's so cool. And getting to follow along um, was just so special. But um, yeah, I'll let you get back into talking about the last nine people. Yeah, so just kind of piggybacking off what you said, you know, one of the reasons I said that this was one of the proudest moments of my life is I knew that having that platform of making the final table, I knew I was going to be getting interviewed on television. And one of the things that was really important to me was sharing my story of recovery. And so we did a lot of interviews leading up to that final table. And in every interview, you know, I placed all of the emphasis on my recovery and my sobriety and how much it meant to me and how I wouldn't be in that position if I wouldn't have made a decision to change my life. And so I was super proud and happy. And, you know, I felt like I was, I felt like I was, you know, living my purpose of, of having the platform to inspire other people by making that final table. And so Coming into the final table, like I said earlier, like I was short stacked. So when you're short stacked in poker, that means you don't have a lot of chips. I had the least amount of chips on the table coming into the first day of the final table. The ESPN cameras are on. It's filmed live for national TV. Everybody's nervous. You're playing for millions of dollars. Um, it's just a it's a high pressure situation. Why don't you remind them the, uh, the, the difference between first place and ninth place when, when you're playing there? Uh, so ninth place is for $1 million and first place was $8.8 million. So, so every, every level up, every position that you, every position that you, uh, every time someone bust out, you automatically make millions of dollars. So one mistake could cost you millions. Absolutely. And when you do that, even though you're already guaranteed 1 million, 
the difference between 1 million and 8.8 .8 million is substantial. Yeah, I, I'm unbelievable. I mean, the difference between 1 million and 1.1 million is still substantial. I mean, it's just 100%. a lot of money is a lot of money. And that's, that's just unbelievable to think about. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, yeah. So we come into the final table. I'm short. I get a double up, which means, you know, I, I went an all in and double my chip stack, uh, right off the bat. You know, there was some there were some other storylines at that final table. There was a guy who'd won the main event um, in like 2012. His name's Joe Cata. He's also a very famous poker player. He's had a lot of success. He was at the final table. At there the time, one, became the youngest player to the youngest person to ever win the World Series of Poker when he did it. Yep, absolutely. Another legend, great guy, like super super nice guy. But yeah, that kind of speaks to the level of play once you get that deep in the tournament. And that and that and that's that kind of complements the point I was making earlier, where I said, you know, when you go to the World Series of Poker, you go out there and you have a chance to compete against the best players in the world. There was there was online European guys who are considered some of the best players in the world at that final table, and like I really had my work cutting out cut out for me, like going into the final table that year. So, you know, I came in short, I doubled up, and you know what they do is they stretch it out over three days for for media purposes and stuff so the first day you play down from nine players to six players the second day you play down from six players to three players and then the final day you play all the way to a winner and so you know the first day went pretty well like i won some pots i was able to chip up a little bit so i wasn't the shortest player at the table um but I think the I think the best part of making of, of being there was poker's not really a spectator sport, you know. Like when I go play these tournaments all over the world and stuff, like if you make a final table, your family doesn't really fly in, they don't really get to be involved, you know. There there's never like a grandstands there for an audience. But for this tournament, for the main event, there is. Everybody flies their family in. And, and that was the most special part for me. My family went from seeing me broke, addicted to substances and having nowhere to turn to playing on poker's biggest stage. And being able to, being able to feel that redemption and have them experience that the joy and, and the pride they got uh, of me having that accomplishment, it, it made me so proud. Like, it, it was definitely one of my, my proudest moments. And so, you know, my mom flew in, my dad flew in, my brothers flew in, like a bunch of my friends flew in. And, 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 the, and the tournament, the, main, the final table started going like really well for me, you know, like I ran pretty well, I made some hands, you know, a few players busted the first day and we made it to the second day. And then on the second day I got hot and I was still playing really well. And I won some big pots. And so going in, we finished up day two, and I ended up with the chip lead, which means which meant that I had more chips than any of the other two players left. I was statistically a favorite to win the tournament at this point, and I was in the hunt for that $8.8 .8 million first prize and the coveted World Series of Poker main event bracelet that's the biggest trophy in poker. So... Day two was pretty good. And, uh, you know, 
we started day three with three players and you know every night like you, you can't imagine the nerves you have when when you're in this situation and you know you go home and you try to sleep but it's hard people are texting you everyone's congratulating you like social media is like trending with your name there's a lot of pressure and a lot of distractions and so going into that final day you know i, I hadn't slept very much and i was i was exhausted and um i rallied you know i remember getting there that final day and i, I was dizzy i was like I'm dizzy and I felt like I was going to pass out. And, you know, I, I ordered a green tea. I had stopped drinking coffee that summer. I ordered a green tea and I rallied. And, and, you know, I really, I had a pep talk with my mind. And I said, like, you know, we've come this far. You're not giving up on me now. Like, we got to close this thing out. And so we, we, busted, we busted the first player uh, to get down to heads up. And I think that took maybe two hours. And from there, they said, all right, well, we're just going to finish the tournament. You know, there's two of you left and, and we're going to play it out. This ended up being the longest heads up match in World Series of Poker history. It lasted 10 hours. We had played for 10 days straight, 12 hours a day. You know, I, I had friends and family watching all over the country and they went to sleep because they couldn't stay up any longer. It was like five, <laughs> six in the morning. And my friends and family, they, they're telling me stories now. Like I went to sleep and I woke up and you guys were still playing. And I thought it was a rerun of the night before. <laughs> I, it, it's crazy too, because I'm going to tell you, this was, I, I think, Saturday night, right? Yeah. All right. So... A funny little story I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so obviously me being obsessed with poker, I, I was following this. And um, at the time, I was very, very active in my church um, with doing breakfast. So I was in a similar situation. Um, I got to work working in the restaurant industry. I got out of work late Saturday night. Um, I'm cooking. And meanwhile, I work. I'm telling everybody about your story because I've been talking about this all week. You know, I'm following this guy. I'm following this guy. This is who I'm rooting for. This is who I'm rooting for. Um, and I'm telling my boss and, you know, you're still in and blah, blah, blah. And I get home from work and I'm, I'm cooking up everything for the, for the breakfast meal. And I'm watching and I'm, I'm laying on the sofa and I'm like, all right, cool. This will end. And then I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up for church. And I'm, then I'm like, all right, I'll go to sleep. And then I'll go to sleep. And then my wife comes out and she's getting ready for church. And she's like, aren't you going to, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like I was still, because of the time difference, I was still watching it literally on my way to church. Um, <laughs> like it was just unbelievable. Like it went so long. It was such a marathon. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Incredibly long. Uh, mentally I've never been so fatigued as I was at the end of that tournament in my entire life. And, uh, I ended up, we end up, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of round the story out. I ended up finishing second five for $5 million. Um, I lost to a great player, uh, the guy that won that year, his name's John Sen. Um, we played the longest heads up match in history of the main event. And in those last 10 hours, I pulled off a bluff. And uh, you can watch it on YouTube if, if, if you just search Tony Miles bluff. But, you know, a few weeks later, I was playing on Poker After Dark or High Stakes Poker. And one of the guys who's been one of my idols in poker 
you know, I told him, I was like, you know, I'm kind of feeling like a lot of like pressure and like, you know, I just don't know how to feel right now. And he was coaching my opponent at the final table when we were playing heads up. And he said, Tony, you pulled off one of the sickest bluffs in final table history. Like you have nothing to be ashamed of. Like you played a great game. You guys are both warriors. And like that, that moment and that accomplishment is so redeeming for me to know that I went from the depths of despair to the highest high drugs could never give me all by taking one day at a time, doing the next right thing and working hard and persevering through that, persevering through those dark times and all that adversity that I had faced. And, and, and all, the, all the struggles I had through my drinking and my drug addiction, that gave me the persistence and the mental fortitude to know that, you know, if I can overcome this, I can beat 8,000 players in the biggest poker tournament in the world. You know, I cheated death. Like, you're talking about statistical probability in a game? I'm a walking miracle. So if you think that I can't make the final table of, of the world championship, you're wrong. And, Absolutely. and I proved it to the world. I proved it to myself. And man, it, it was just such a, it was a gift of recovery. It was a gift from God. And, and uh, man, it was just an amazing experience and a dream come true. That's just so, so cool. Um, and it, it's just, it's unbelievable. Un, un, unbelievable. It's like words almost can't even describe to think um, someone who had just been battling with addiction and, you know, trying to get everything together and then to come to this path and about roughly a year and a half later, um, their whole life changing and ev everything just, I mean, you know, regardless of, of the status before in cash game, like it, you're, you're, you become a tournament legend, you become a household name. Um, Every, people in the poker world know you. I mean, I, I can, I can say this right now. Um, like I said, I, I posted in our Facebook page yesterday after, after talking to you um, and in the Facebook page, I said, Oh, I got a really cool episode getting recorded. Um, that'll be airing in a few weeks. Um, this is really exciting. If anybody here follows poker or American Ninja warrior and wants to take a, a guess at who the guest is and within minutes um, without trying to completely spoil the surprise, we had one of our guys in there who just immediately responded TM. So like the name is out there. People know, like it, it's, that's just, it, it's so cool. Um, and then what I want to talk about um, next on the last part of this episode here is, you know, a lot of people who had dealt with um, addiction and some of the stuff that you have and, and some of the natures that you have um, after making it to the pinnacle of that career, you know, a lot of people would have just looked at it like, all right, I'm here. Um, now maybe I can have a drink. Maybe I can do this. You know, I can afford it. You know, I have $5 million in my pocket. Like there's so many ways that people can approach things. Um, and, and where you take that story next is so important because some people could go ahead and pick up that drink and think that it's okay. Um, but no, you decide, all right, cool. Let's go ahead and share that platform more. Um, let's step our fitness up to the next level. Um, let's take a little bit of money off of Sean Deeb, hopefully. Um, let's just rally it together and let's go back on national television again and tell our story again. Um, and then we get to see you on American Ninja Warrior, which then they get to cover your poker successes, um, mentioning your recovery in there as well. So now you have two different platforms. You have 
ESPN and NBC now both talking about Tony Miles, the recovering miracle. You're doing phenomenal things. You're winning million dollars over here. You're doing things that only a few people in the world can do over here. Um, physically, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of these accomplishments that we get to see um, all while being sober and parlaying those platforms into getting to send a positive message. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience with American Ninja Warrior? Yeah, so so after the main event, uh, I you know one of one of my one of my dreams and passions was always to be able to travel the world. You know, I, I've always wanted to travel and experience cultures, and and, and that's something that I, that I've always been passionate about and, and craved in my life. So, you know, I started traveling, playing some tournaments all over the world, and uh, I'm pretty good friends with Sean Deeb. You mentioned him. He's another legend in poker. If you know anything about poker, he was one of the most successful online players of all time. This guy's won world titles left and right. I think he won like five or $10 million at the World Series that year. I got second. Um, so we were staying together at, a, uh, at an Airbnb in Edinburgh, Scotland, playing one of the online series. And uh, you know, we went to lunch one day and, and Sean's, a, Sean's a character. Uh, if if you if you're on Twitter, give this guy a, and you like poker, give this guy a follow um, because he is one of those guys that is not afraid to say what's on his mind. Uh, he's he can come off as very abrasive, but he's honest and he's genuine. And so Sean and I were at lunch one day, and Sean said, "You know, like you accomplished your dream. What are you going to do next?" And I'd always watched American Ninja Warrior with my parents. And I think this had always been like another dream for me to, you know, because I grew up doing gymnastics and water skiing, I always felt that I had like a lot of agility and balance and I, and good, I'm a good aerialist, like I can do flips and stuff. And I'm like, I really think I could compete with these guys on this show. And so when, when Sean asked me like, you know, what was next for me? I said, you know, I think I want to, I think I want to try out for American Ninja Warrior. And he's like, man, you're crazy. Like those guys are elite athletes. Uh, they train their entire lives for that show. Like there's no way you can do it. And, you know, me being a poker player, my response was bet. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean's, Sean, you know, grac graciously accepted. And, uh, you know, we worked out some terms and, uh, you know, he wanted it to be like a high profile bet. So we ended up betting um, six figures on, you know, whether or not I could get on the show and make it through the first qualifying course, which doesn't really sound like a lot, you know, like you get on the show and you make it through six obstacles. But I can tell you from experience as someone who's been training for this for the last two and a half years, it is tough. It is crazy, man. This isn't like this isn't like uh, this isn't like picking up a new sport, you know. Like it takes years of developing your forearm and your grip strength. Uh, there's a reason that the guys that you know have been rock climbing their entire lives are the best at, at this show. Like it, it's not like going to the gym and lifting weights and building strength. You know, the the, the type of strength and agility required to to be successful on the show and to to make it through those initial six obstacles and hit the buzzer it takes hard work and dedication and so uh, yeah I'll, I guess I'll talk about like the terms of the bet a little bit so Sean wanted to have like a tiered wager where 
you know, if I could do it my first year, I would get like really incredible odds. So he said like, you know, let's make this bet. If you do it the first year, I'll give you 25 to one. If you do it the second year, I'll give you 20 to one. And then if you can do it the third year, I'll give you 15 to one. And he says like, I'll let you bet any amount up to 5,000 on your side. So I immediately say like booked, I want to bet all 5,000 of it. And so, you know, what that meant was getting 25 to one. If I made it through the six obstacles in my first year on the show and I got accepted, I would win $125,000. And so immediately like we're in Scotland and I start like doing pull-ups on the little ledges on the doors and inside the Airbnb and stuff. And I'm like showing him like, yo, you know, we're, we're talking smack to each other. And, and, and I came home and, you know, it was one more, it was just another thing in my life where I was like, I'm one of those people where if I'm, if I'm scared or, or nervous about something, I make myself do it. Like I'm scared of heights. So what do I do? I ride the biggest roller coasters. I jump out of planes. I bungee jump, you know, like I'm one of those people who thinks like you can overcome any obstacle in your life and fear and anxiety is one of the most crippling obstacles in people's life. So I started training immediately. So I get back to the United States from, from my tour in Europe and you know luckily there's there's a couple guys where i live in the orlando area that are world class competitors and who have been competing for the championship on ninja warrior over the past few years and so i was lucky to you know that those facilities were here i started training like three or four times a week like putting my body through hell just like trying to get ready for for the show and, you know, like a lot of the things that I was doing to be successful uh, in poker trans transitioned well to Ninja Warrior. The mindset, like the fearlessness, the, the feeling the fear, but pushing yourself to do it anyways. Uh, like the abstract uh, physical um, recovery things. I, I was doing crypto, uh, not cryptotherapy, um, cryotherapy. And I was on the ketogenic diet again. And... I just started really getting comfortable and, and really starting to have that confidence again where I knew I could I knew I could win the bet. Like I knew I could win the bet. And not only did I think I could win the bet, I thought I could compete with some of the best athletes in the world who are in this sport. And so I'm training. I'm uh, you know, I, I'm pretty much taking the year off poker this first year. And I've really dedicated my life to, to winning this bet and, you know, to pushing myself and developing myself as, as an athlete and physically. And uh, well, yeah, why not? Because for most people that didn't just win $5 million, trying to turn 5,000 into $125,000 is like a year or two salary for most normal people. A hundred percent, man. The, the bet was substantial enough to motivate me to like take off from poker and to, to really focus on the task at hand. And, uh, you know, I dedicated myself and I committed myself to it. And, and, and like I said in poker, you know, it's a game that's constantly evolving and you have to work hard. And, you know, I'm one of those guys that thinks like, 
hard work beats talent all the, all day. You know, like if you want to be in the top 1%, you got to do what the other 99% aren't doing. Like sure. I push myself. And so, uh, yeah, man, I got into great shape. I, I think I only had like three or four months, uh, in between when we made the bet and, and, I got accepted the the producer one of the major like one of the major thing obstacles that was factored into the bet was American Ninja Warrior is super difficult to to get accepted on like it's a reality TV show so you have to apply and the producers have to select you and so I was doing some interviews for, with some poker media and I told them about the bet and I was really nervous about like even getting selected for the show because, you know, a hundred thousand people apply for this show. They only select 600 every year. I'm like, you know, what if I don't get selected and I don't even get a chance? The producers, and, and, and I'll just say like, this is, a, this is an, another, another point in my life where my higher power like intervened. The producers see one of my poker interviews where I'm talking about the bet. They call me. They say, hey, we heard about your bet. We want you on the show. Oh, that's so cool. I'm like, amazing. You know, like one of the biggest obstacles of this whole challenge of getting on is just like given to me. And so, you, you know, I was so grateful for that. And um, so, you know, I, I applied, I got accepted. You know, I knew exactly like when I was competing and I'm, I'm in great shape. I'm doing crazy stuff in the gym. I'm having a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the filming comes around. The filming's in Atlanta. My whole family drives up. I've got family and friends coming from all over the country to like be there to support me. And it's just another really incredible moment was that first time competing on Ninja Warrior. They do a, they do a, they do a, like a, they do a, like a, a little scene where they highlight my poker accomplishments and I get to talk about my recovery and use that platform again uh, to get my story out there and inspire others like you talked about earlier. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so that was, that, was my, that was my goal for that year. And my goal was to make it on and the terms of the bet give me three years to, to complete the bet. And so that year, my first year on the show, I get up there and before I take off on the course, you know, like everybody's super nervous, the camera's on you. And so I got up there and they're like, you know, are, are you gonna do anything special? Like, you know, for the cameras when you get up on the stage? And I'm like, no, I think I'm just gonna take a second and like, you know, collect my thoughts and, and be present and appreciate the moment. And so I, I got up there and I was a little nervous and I said a prayer. And as soon as I said a prayer, the anxiety melted away. And, 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 you know, my prayer was just like, you know, like, God, give me the courage to honor you. Like, if, if you, if I fall on this first obstacle and humiliate myself, like, I don't care as long as this is your purpose for me. And so I take off on the first obstacle. It's uh, like these these skinny steps that you have to run over the top of and and dive off of and catch a rope and swing to a platform i clear it i'm like super stoked i get to the second obstacle it's this so it's basically like a uh, an arm that hangs down 
with a post on the end of it and you hook a ring over the post and then the arm swings, you have to swing back and forth to get your momentum up and then you have to release the ring from the post, turn the ring and catch it on a post on another arm that's hanging down that's six feet away. So I swing, I get a couple swings in, I release the hook, I catch it on the post, I swing off, I jump onto the platform, I'm stoked. Two of six, right? 33%, I'm almost there, you know? The third obstacle is these spinning blocks. Man, I knew seeing that course the day before, if there was one obstacle that was gonna give me trouble, it was these spinning blocks. And basically what the obstacle is, is they have these wooden boxes and they run, a, they run a pole through the middle of them and they put the boxes on bearings and they, the boxes are all different sizes and they turn them so the boxes, so the corners of the boxes are at different angles and you have to run over the tops of six of these boxes while they're spinning. So if you, if you step too far outside uh, of the center of axis, which is the pole going through the middle of them, they'll spin. So I take a breath and I was really nervous about this obstacle. And I used like one of my poker adages that I've heard a lot in my career. And I just said, you know, like, think long, think wrong, you know, just go for it. And a lot of times when I'm like scared to do something too, it's just like, you know, just three, two, one, do it, you know? And I took off, I hit the first block, stepped fine. The second block, I catch outside that center of axis. The block spins. I hit the third block, I'm starting to lose my balance. Hit the fourth block. I'm really off balance when I get to the fifth block. It spins, I go down, fall into the water. And uh, yeah, I, di I didn't make it through. I I'm wet, I'm cold, I injured myself, but I had a blast, right? And and as disappointed as I was, because I felt like, you know, I'd really done everything I could to prepare for the show that year, I knew like, this is an opportunity to learn and grow. Like, this is not a failure. Like, this is a chance to get better. And so I didn't make it through my first year, but I embraced, I, am, I embraced the opportunity of what not making it provided me. And so, yeah, man, uh, last year was supposed to be my second year competing on the show. I was training like a madman again. Uh, COVID hit, the show gets postponed. I end up buying one of these one wheels that's kind of like a snowboarding thing. It's like a motorized like device that you ride on and uh, I'm riding it. The show's been postponed because of COVID. They don't know what's gonna happen. So yeah, I'm just trying to find things to do during quarantine. I'm riding this one wheel around like the, the parking garage at my apartments and uh, I take it out to ride to my dad's house one day and the board malfunctions. I'm doing about 20 miles an hour. It nose dives. I get sent like feet over my head shoulder first into the ground. Ooh. 
I dislocate my clavicle, I tear every ligament in my shoulder, and I, I mean, I was, I, I was rushed to the emergency room. You know, I was wearing a helmet, thankfully that day, the helmet was cracked. Like, if I wouldn't have been wearing a helmet, I might not even be here doing this interview right now. Holy shit. It was a, it was like a, it was a traumatic experience. It was a, a devastating injury. And especially with all the hard work I'd been putting in for Ninja Warrior and, and being prepared. And, you know, like if COVID doesn't happen, the show would have already filmed, like that might have not ever happened. And, and, and at that point, I, I really decided like, I have a choice, you know, I, I can, I can pour me, pour me, pour me another drink or I can view this as an opportunity to learn and grow. And, and that's really what I've been doing, man. And um, that happened in April, on April 20th of this year. Um, and, you know, I, it, it was an intense, like I had a, a very intensive surgery. They had to do a bunch of crazy stuff to put my shoulder back together. And um, since that surgery, I, I, I've, I've been doing physical therapy and uh, uh, just really focusing on, you know, I, I ended up missing Ninja Warrior last year. I got accepted for the show for the second year last year, and I had to end up missing it because of the injury. But, uh, you know, I started doing everything in my power to, to get back in shape for this. This year is going to be my third and final year for the bet. And um, you still get 15 to one, so you can still make 75 off it. 75,000. That's the, that's the goal. And um, yeah, man. So just kind of like a current update on what's been going on. I've been recovering from that surgery and uh, doing physical therapy. I've been eating healthy, um, staying with my practices of uh, meditation and, uh, you know, really just like being committed to living a healthy lifestyle and taking care of my body my mind, my spirit, my relationship with my higher power, my sobriety. And, uh, yeah, so we finished up my, uh, my video submission for the application for Ninja Warrior. I think a week ago, we are submitted. We're waiting to hear back from the show to see if we're selected for the third year and man, I'm training like a madman. Well, definitely the best of luck there. Hopefully they pull your video in and uh, hopefully we get you back on the show. I'm definitely rooting for you to get the 75. Um, and we'll love to see you on there again um, and get to just share, uh, share on that platform again as well and just inspire more people. Um, so uh, with that being said, uh, Tony, why don't you tell us about a, a couple athletes that inspire you? Uh, sure, man. You know, like when I was at the World Series of Poker main event final table, I wore jerseys. Because being an athlete, uh, I was inspired. I'm inspired by athletes. And the first day I wore Steph Curry's jersey. The second day I wore Russell Wilson's jersey. Um, you know, like Steph Curry is one of my favorite basketball players. I played basketball growing up. Like I love his style. Russell Wilson is, I mean, the Seahawks are my team. I love them. And no player embodies the spirit that I like to, that I identify with the most more than Russell. He's like always scurrying for his life, making amazing plays. And uh, the third jersey I wore was Tim Tebow's. 
and there's a there's a recurring theme like these are all Christian athletes and they're all people who are incredible athletes on the field, but they're guys who really make like a positive contribution off the field. And that's something that I respect and admire and inspires me. And that's something that I would like to, you know, pass on to other people as well. Absolutely. That's just so cool and so inspiring. Um, and a really, really awesome reason to pick, pick those three uh, gentlemen that you did. Um, so Tony, uh, as, before we uh, wrap this up, is there, um, did, did you want to tell any of our listeners how they can maybe find you on social media? Do you have any events coming up, how they can maybe try and hopefully follow you to keep, keep you in mind for the next Ninja Warrior, maybe your next World Series run? 100%, man. Uh, if you want to follow along on my poker or my Ninja Warrior bet or journey, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Tony Miles Poker. And you can find me on Twitter as well, Tony Miles Poker, same, same handle. And um, yeah, for anybody who's struggling in their daily life who just might need a pep talk, you know, I, like I said earlier, I love sharing my story. So you can search me on Facebook under Tony Miles. Um, yeah, those are, those are good ways to follow along and keep up to date with the kind of craziness that I'm getting into. I like to do kind of crazy stuff. I'm always traveling around, like uh, trying to get an adrenaline rush off something. So, Awesome. That's so cool. And uh, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, you know, uh, again, Tony, I definitely want to give you a special thank you for, um, for, for reaching back out um, and, and for responding so quickly, you know, two years ago when I reached out as well. Um, I kind of thought that when I, when I shot you that message on Facebook Messenger, um, partly in my mind, I kind of expected to never hear from you. Um, not because I was expecting you to be like a jerk or anything, but just because you had just come off final table. You just, you know, you won all that money. And I can only imagine, you know, getting messages. You probably got a million messages from strangers, probably, you know, asking for money or interviews or this and that, and just people pretend to be friends. And I was like, I'm just going to get lost in the sauce here and I'm probably not even going to hear back. And I just thought it was so cool um, that, that I did hear back from you uh, before I had a chance to go out to Vegas and, and get my first experience. Um, and it, it was just so cool. And then, you know, circling back to yesterday, reaching back out to you as well. I kind of thought it was a long shot. I was like, yeah, he's probably not going to have time for this podcast. And, you know, just showing that you're doing it. It's just so cool because the, the hand of AA was, was there for me when I needed it. It was there for you and it, we just keep passing this on and it's just so cool um, to kind of have like, in, in my mind, being, being a poker player um, myself, it's kind of like, like our first like celebrity, so to speak on here. So it, it's really cool to me, Tony, and uh, I definitely appreciate you being on here today. Hey man, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on. I, I really enjoy sharing my story and uh, you know, what's the point of like, if you are someone in my shoes who feels like your purpose is to inspire others to have a better life, you know, like I'm happy, like people message me out of the blue all the time. And you're right. I do get a lot of those messages where it's like, you know, can you stake me for poker? Can you give me some money? Like, you know, and, and those like, you know, it comes with the territory, but the people who are like, Hey, I'm in recovery this is my life. Like I identify with you. I want to support that. I want to be there. I want to be someone that can talk to those people. I want someone who's struggling. You know, I had so many people reach out to me and just say like, 
I've been struggling with addiction or I've been clean and you inspired me. And that's what it's all about, baby. Absolutely. And hope this podcast is definitely going to inspire some more. Um, so, uh, Tony, I forgot to prep you on this part. So there's going to be a little unorthodox. I'm going to say a bunch of stuff and then I'm going to ask you how you're doing it. And you're going to say one day at a time. All right, cool. <laughs> My man. But, uh, thank you again, uh, Tony, for being on today's episode. It was so awesome. Um, I want to thank you again for sharing your time. Enjoy your weather in Florida. Good luck on your cash game tonight. Um, and you know, just keep staying healthy, keep staying fit and tell them how you're doing it, Tony. One day at a time. All right, brother. God bless and be safe. God bless, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tony. It was a pleasure to have you. For anybody else out there that is dealing with addiction, for any recovering athletes out there, please check us out on Facebook at StayingFitODAAT. For anybody else, please continue checking out the podcast. Share, subscribe, send any comments, emails. Also check out, we will be having our first annual race next weekend, January 16th through the 18th. There will be many details on how you can participate both through contributions and by physically participating in the virtual race as well. For everybody out there, just know that you're loved. Continue staying healthy, staying fit, and doing this one day at a time.